I think fact started when it all started. It's always okay to punch a Nazi. You're telling me that I can use this phone for more than checking Facebook and Grindr on the go? Fuck you and fuck Mars. Things are the best they've ever been. So the only way to go is down. Oh, I built a straw man argument. Here's the thing though, this shit still stinks. So that's when, that's when women's rights really mattered was back then. A podcast by the people, for the people, and of the people. Hi, Jack. Hey, Jason. Welcome back to my house in my recording studio. Yeah, hey, it's great to be back here. <laughs> it's been so long it since has, I've been here. It's been a while. Um, what, what have you been up to? Um, oh, you know, barring other people's <laughs> recording equipment to make other stuff. Working, mostly. Yeah. Working, improv, stuff like that. Nice. Um, what about I, yourself? I have. Uh, I'll do a little shameless self promotion. I have been working on a uh, new split EP with my band, uh, Ben Diesel. We have been um, doing some work with our friends. The stars go out. I, I need to let you know. I know you're in a band. I've known you're in a band. I did not know that was the name you of didn't your know band. It was ben Diesel, and that's my favorite. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's just you know, it's Ben Diesel's cousin. He's right. just trying to get some Fair. recognition and. But uh, yeah, so I've been out in St. Charles recording the past few uh, nights and or weeks, and it's just been crazy. Um, so luckily, we had the episodes backlogged, and we were yeah. able to take a little break. Uh, Go bi-weekly. Yes, yeah, we uh, went by. And we are doing bi-weekly. Um, it's been nice. I've wanted to tell my parents for so long that I wanted to go bi-weekly. If only I could make my visits to them bi-yearly. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> you mean every two years? I do, not we went, twice we, a year. So we went out to surprise my dad for. Uh, we went out and surprised him for Passover for the church service, like going to the early one, right? And he was all stoked on that. And then we went out again for Easter, but we went to the Easter vigil instead of like actual Easter. And fuck, it's so long. It's like two hours plus. People get confirmed and baptized and yep. I felt like I was six again I was like balling up stuff and throwing it <laughs> and just like being scolded but anyway so even though we've taken a little bit yeah. of a break hold uh, on you got to do a plug I get to do a plug oh quick. yeah please plug away yeah the, one of the things I've been doing uh there's another podcast on this <gasps> network it's not a network yet <gasps> At my I'm working own house on it in your own <laughs> house it's a wrestling podcast it's called tales from the kayfabe we record that all you know, release that every Tuesday. So yeah. I know you've told me a thousand times that it's Tales from the K-Fab, and I will never read it as anything other than Tales from the K-Fab, and I don't know why fine. that is. That's perfect. Um, but it's fine. You can have problems pronouncing that because there are a lot of names in today's topic there that are. I'm going to have trouble pronouncing. Yeah. So like I was saying, uh, think we've kind of you know taken a little break, but however, um, the administration, the administration has, has not. not. Things are still going full speed. Um, and Ooh, so today, Jason's getting undressed. I'm wearing my ironic T-shirt today that says "God USA SEC." I don't care about <laughs> any of those things. Um, I actually I went to a friend's house once and stayed in his roommate's room, and I had a shirt this exact color, uh-huh. and I accidentally left that there and came home with this, this and I was one. like, "Fuck it, new shirt." Um, Love it. <laughs> So today we are talking about uh, North Korea mm-hmm. because there's been a lot of stuff going on. They've been doing some shit. Yeah, and I mean it, it's kind of cool too because in the research and stuff, we you know this is going to be a little bit of like backtracking for us because we're going to touch on sanctions and we're going to not touch on Waco though. I wish we would. <laughs> you um, always want to touch on Waco. I just want to say what's up, you know. Um, 
And uh, so anyway, there's been a lot going on. Um, I would like to, to do a disclaimer first because I, you know, we try to stay as apolitical as possible. So we say, I in my research, I did look up Obama era policies uh-huh. and even farther back um, because the North Korea didn't start developing a nuclear program until 1996. So it's fairly hey, recent as far as like some history there, but yeah, yeah. I mean, as far as like pertinent for our modern day, yeah. as far as nuclear weapons yes that's they've had nuclear technologies since just after like i'll get into that but just after world war ii essentially yeah which i mean has always kind of worried people but so i like i don't want to make it seem like it's really one-sided but i researched i I mean just going from 2008 to current day it was like 15 pages of shit and i just Mm -hmm. basically obama was not near as aggressive as this administration has been um, they tended to kind of police things more through sanctions and diplomatic terms. Right. Um, but sometimes, you know, as much as I appreciate that, that's not always the best way to handle things. So it's, you know, we'll see, we'll see how it goes. I mean, uh, we're going to, there's a lot to talk about, so I will uh, shut the hell up and let Jack uh, take it over. All right. Since we're talking about a new country, uh, we're going to start with <laughs> the history of that country. Luckily, we don't have to go back into BC times. <laughs> how about <laughs> that? I mean, I guess I could have gotten to the history of the whole peninsula. Catch and me in Asia modern times. And... How about that? <sighs> so I'm gonna go ahead and get out of here. <laughs> yeah, bye. This is my podcast now. So we'll start in about 1910, which is so like compared to some of the other things we've talked about it's like yesterday. It's like yesterday. <laughs> uh, the entire Korean peninsula was under Japanese rule. Most of the Koreans there were peasants. They were engaged. In substance farming in the 1930s this that feels wrong no never mind it's right uh japan developed mines hydroelectric dams steel mills and fa- manufacturing plants in northern korea and neighboring manchuria which is less of a like actual country and more of just an area and it's a candidate too right the manchurian it's, candidate yeah yeah he's a. Uh... <laughs> He is. He's. The I'm intended to derail this as soon as possible. As soon as fucking possible. <laughs> I'm not through the first paragraph. This is going to take forever. I've got five pages. You asshole. Uh, so, the Korean industrial working class expanded rapidly, and then many Koreans went to work in Manchuria. Uh, as a result, 65% of Korea's heavy industry was located in the north, but due to the harshness of the terrain, only 37%. Uh, of its agriculture was okay. located up there. I have to take off these headphones. I, I catch myself up so often <laughs> on my own. It's that like that speech jammer thing. Yeah, it's like that. There was a Korean guerrilla movement that emerged in the mountainous interior and in Manchuria, and they started harassing the Japanese imperial authorities. Interesting. One of the most prominent guerrilla leaders was the communist Kim Il Sung. Yes, remember his name. I shall. On August 8th, 1945, towards the end of World War II, the Soviet Union declared war on Japan. Basically, uh, because as soon as the war in the Europe was over, the Soviet Union was like, okay, we'll help our allies, which was still at the time the U.S. and all that, the allies. Yeah, of course. With Japan, because they're causing shit too. Uh, so the Soviet Union finished the war in Europe, went to war on Japan, uh, Soviet troops advanced rapidly, and the U.S. government became anxious that they would occupy the whole of Korea. So even though they were our allies, they're like, they can't have all of it. 
Um, on August 10th, the U.S. government decided to propose the 38th parallel as the dividing line between a Soviet occupation zone in the north and a U.S. occupation zone in the south. Um, again, the U.S. <laughs> and Soviet Union just causing problems. Just stepping in. The vision placed 16 million Koreans in the American southern zone and 9 million in the Soviet northern zone. To the surprise of the Americans, the Soviet Union immediately accepted this division. They're like, yeah, sure. Cool, great. Uh, agreement was incorporated into General Order Number 1 for the surrender of Japan. Interesting. Um, Soviet forces began amphibious landings in Korea by August 14th and rapidly took over the northeast of the country. Um, and on August 16th, they landed in Wonsan. On August 24th, the Red Army reached Pyongyang. Um that same month, People's Committee sprang up across Korea, affiliated with the Committee for the Preparation of Korean Independence, which in September had founded the People's Republic of Korea. Um, when Soviet troops entered Pyongyang, the, they found a local People's Committee established there, led by veteran Christian nationalist Sho Man Sik. But uh, by some accounts, he was the Soviet government's first choice to lead North Korea. Wait, they were what Christian nationalists? Uh, vet, veteran Christian nationalists. So, because they had fought, they had also fought to right. beat off the J- Japanese. <laughs> yeah, no, I said that. I said um, that, and I heard it, and I went so, shit. So wait, but so but these were people that like had come from the original Japanese occupation. They weren't just like missionaries or like soldiers. Okay, from. so I didn't. I left this out. It was actually in the. This is all from Wikipedia. It was in the Wikipedia. But like, Korea had actually kind of been able to they weren't influenced that much by western culture except for christianity christianity had permeated korea just through the years yeah i mean probably from earlier explorations and right you know christianity was like the one western ideal that kind of caught on there somehow it's pretty much the the dominated one for the world at this point Um, jesus plus one jesus plus two (laughs) um on september 19th uh this is still i believe in 1945 Kim Il-sung and 36 other Korean Red Army officers arrived in Wonsan. Uh, They had fought the Japanese in Manchuria in the 1930s, but had lived in the USSR and trained in the Red Army since 1941. On October 14th, Soviet authorities introduced Kim to the North Korean public as a guerrilla hero. Like Harambe. Yeah. I'm moving on. Uh, in December of 1945, the Soviet Union agreed to a U.S. proposal for a trusteeship over Korea for up to five years in the lead-up to independence. So they, their whole plan was they were going to let this place be independent. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, most Koreans demanded independence immediately. They were like, no, we don't want to wait these five years. Uh, but Kim and other communists supported the, trust, the five-year trusteeship under pressure from the Soviet government. Uh, Cho opposed the proposal. What was the like? What were the the, the benefit of waiting five years? No idea. Huh? I think it was mostly to work out the the details kinks and, and the stuff. details. Yeah. And the uh, the Koreans were like, "No, we want our independence, and we want to, you know, set set up our own government." The kinks of beating kind off of the stuff. Japanese. Uh. So yeah. Anyway, I don't know where I am, and I'm just trying to move past your joke. Uh, so yeah, on February 8th of 1946, the People's Committees were reorganized as interim People's Committees dominated by communists. And then the new regime instituted popular policies of land redistribution, industry nationalization, labor law reform, and equality for women. So, okay. I'm not going to say surprisingly, but... Who needs it? Communists. (laughs) Everyone's equal footing. 
Sure. Um, so meanwhile, existing communist groups re- were reconstituted as a party. As a party. They weren't just like milling around. They were right. a, they were like a united group. Yeah, under Kim Il-sung's leadership. Okay. Um, on December 18th, 1945, local communist party committees were combined into the North Korean Communist Party. Uh, in August of 1946, this party merged with the New People's Party to form the Workers' Party of North Korea. Okay. So it's just a bunch of political communist parties kind of all coming together. So it's like sort of like left book on Facebook, just all the individual groups with yeah. just lots of infighting. I and... actually do not know what you're talking about. <laughs> we'll talk after the podcast. Okay. I'll tell you about all the groups that got kicked out of this week. <laughs> uh, in December of 1946, a popular front led by the Workers' Party dominated elections in the North. In 1949, the Workers' Party of North Korea merged with its southern counterpart to become the Workers' Party of Korea with Kim as party chairman. In 1946, a sweeping series of laws transformed North Korea on Stalinist lines. Okay. Uh, the land to the tiller reform redistributed the bulk of agricultural land to the poor and landless peasant population which effectively broke the power of the landed class, which is kind of what one of the problems was before. Sure. Um, I mean, wealth redistribution is a huge part of that. Yeah. So as negotiations with the Soviet Union on the future of Korea failed to make progress, the U.S. took the issue to the United Nations in September of 1947. U.S., the world's tattletale. Yep. (laughs) In response, the U.N. established the United Nations Temporary Commission on Korea to hold elections in Korea, the Soviet Union opposed this move. In the absence of Soviet cooperation, it was decided to hold UN supervised elections in the South only. Okay. So they were trying to make Korea st- still be one Korea. Okay, as opposed. But to there were so divided. many opposed. There was a communist party up north that was backed by Stalin, and Stalin wanted all of Korea to be communist, and the U.S. wanted all of Korea to be democratic and actually hold elections and all of that. And I mean, and the U.S. was basically South Korea's main ally under right. the 30th parallel, right? Right, okay. right. Um, so then that's why the U.N. was like, yeah, well, the Soviet Union's not cooperating with us, but you guys can hold elections in the South. <laughs> um, so they were held there on May in South Korea on May 10th, 1948. On August 15th, the Republic of Korea formally came into existence. So that's what South Korea technically is, is the Republic of Korea. So is that, that's the DPRK, right? Like the Democratic People's Republic, or is that North Korea? And I believe that's the DPRK. Now, and I don't know if you... I think the North is a workers. Okay. I don't know. Exactly. And I'm also curious, I don't know if... Like... No. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. That's wrong. The Republic of Korea was South. And then the a, a similar process took place in North, North Korea. A new Supreme People Assembly was elected in August of 1948, and on September 3rd, a new constitution was uh, created. The Democratic People's Republic of Korea was proclaimed on September 9th with Kim as premier. Okay. So so my question is, like, let's say the 38th parallel thing, when that happened, was it like if someone was in South Korea and they were like, no, I'd much rather be in North Korea, like, is, was that migration there? Or, I mean, was it pretty much like they were... That and I'm kind of curious, like how that. I don't really know. You know what I, I mean? I saw some stuff, um, especially leading into the Korean War, where they actually in like there were a lot of there were some Southern communists that sure. came up, but then like a lot of them were killed because they were thought to be spies and stuff. Gotcha. Um. So, yeah, it was it was not the greatest of waters from the start. Yeah. No. I mean, it seems like it's. I mean. That's obviously continued even today. Right. So interesting. 
Um, but yeah, I think I think a lot of it there there may have been like, and because that's probably not covered a lot, but there may have been I mean, the same thing of like was like fuck this, I don't want to deal with right, this. right. Oh fuck, there. this is <laughs> yeah. I can tell this is going south. So, right. so am I. Wait, hold on. So you're saying the Soviet Union's involved, and then it's U.S. stat 38th. Okay, I'll see you guys. Right. So 1949, North Korea was a full-fledged communist state. All parties and mass organizations joined the Democratic Front for the reunification of the fatherland, which was ostensibly a popular front, but in reality was actually just dominated by communists. (laughs) Uh, Government moved rapidly to establish a political system that was partly stylized on the Soviet system with political power monopolized by the Workers' Party of Korea. Interesting. So So many parties. Then the Korean War kind of happened. And I kind of am going to skim over it a little bit. That's a whole, that could be a whole other thing of just talking about the Korean War. Right. Basically, North Korea was like, hey, we want to be unified and we're going to do it by force. So they kind of went, uh, they did real well too. They got real far south. They got to Seoul. Oh, shit. Like, and took over Seoul. Uh, basically, because China really helped them out and they had already had, they had kind of the help of the Soviet Union. But they still, there was a lot of stuff left over from World War II that the Soviet Union had given them. Yeah. So they had a lot of power sure. to take over it. And then eventually the UN back, the UN backed American led force pushed North Korean troops all the way up to the Chinese border. Then China sent more troops and retook, the, <laughs> retook Seoul. Um, and then UN forces re- managed to retake that. Um, the war essentially be, then became a bloody stalemate for the next two years. And I mean, it's one of those things too, where, and I mean, I'm going to, I'll personally, I'll need to go back, um, and listen to it just out of curiosity. Do you hear that high frequency whine or is that just me? I think that's your phone, you asshole. I, I have no idea what that is. I think the aliens are trying to send a message, but I feel like Put I need your tinfoil hat <laughs> later, but I feel like I need to go back and listen to the South China Sea episode again, just because keep in mind that all these countries that we're currently talking about, Russia, China, South Korea, North Korea, and the United States have all played parts in one way or another with that those yeah, material that possessions area. in that area. And it makes you wonder, like, there's got to be a reason, or why else would anyone give a shit that wasn't particularly in that region? Right. So, um, as, as always, follow the money. I mean, there's something, there's a reason that yeah. all of a sudden we're sending troops over to South Korea to help them fight North Korea, you know? Right. Um, so, American bombing included the use of napalm against populated areas and the destruction of dams and dikes which caused devastating floods. Um, as a result of the bombing, almost every substantial building and much of the infrastructure in North Korea was destroyed. Economic output in 1953 had fallen by 75 to 90% compared to 1949. And they don't like us now? They're not fans of us? Yeah. This is... I, I just feel like this is where it starts. Yeah. No, I mean... That's, that's why like... I touched on it briefly. I'm like, oh, we devastated them. Yeah, I mean, just rained fiery death upon them. Right. Um, while the bombing continued, armistice and negotiations were on. North Korea's lead negotiator was General Nam II. Korean armistice agreement was signed July 27, 1953. A ceasefire followed, but there was no peace treaty, and hostiles continued at a lower intensity. Oh, yeah, shit, I forgot. They're still technically at war because they just signed a truce, but never a treaty. Right. Like, they've been at, they're still at war, yeah. like, today. Yeah. That's nuts. Um, that sounds really dangerous. <laughs> uh, hey, cops, Vector. Hi! I was just thinking, that's a lot of people dying out there. Yeah, do you you should go over there and stop them. Oh, no, I don't got enough dynamite for that. Okay, well, then you're useless, Cops. See you Becky. later! 
Uh, I miss that dude. Yeah, he's. I Matt recorded you while we've been on a break. I know, right? Probably just hanging out at my we house. We definitely. <laughs> we should have an, a Cop Spectre <laughs> podcast. Like a 20 minute, just what Cop Spectre's been up to. I will to. need so many Luden's cough drops. <laughs> <laughs> Don't. You don't need cough jobs. Cospector's an entirely different person. Ah, what are you talking about, Jason? <laughs> uh, you got sound sick, Cospector. I've been I've been drinking a bunch. <laughs> I missed you guys. <laughs> I know what you mean, man. I've been working on an Ebo album myself. Uh, so then after Korean War, North Korea got real interesting. Kim Il Sung became to really consolidate his power and kind of form a cult of personality around himself. Um, this angered even the Soviets, who in 1955 basically was like, chill. Yeah, like there one of the, the I think actually Kim went to so to like the Soviet capital, and they were like, dude, like you can't like because at this point, so he was modeling after um, uh, Stalin, yeah. who also had this cult of personality around him. But then at, by that point, Stalin was no longer like in power, right? And they were like, yeah, we're, not, we're not doing that anymore. That's not a cool thing anymore. Mr. Kim, we have come to ask you to, to chill out. You are being a bit, a bit audacious. <laughs> Do the gulag. Uh, That's Vladimir. Yeah, I, I noticed. <laughs> and then also the Chinese leader, Mao Zedong, um, was pissed because Kim, this is kind of my favorite thing, Kim kept saying that the takeover of the peninsula, first of all, was was a success. That's bonkers. Because <laughs> they defeated the imperialist Americans. It's like you lost. <laughs> you just got a little portion. Like, I mean, it, it, but it goes to. But show he you. paints this little portion as like this big like win. I mean, propaganda is so so important for. I mean, anything. I, like when I looked, I was doing research today. I noticed that like there was a high school band concert where the backdrop of it was just a picture of Kim Jong Un, mm-hmm. like. It's, I mean, everything is celebrating. Well, you mean like uh, high school concerts where the backdrop's just an American flag? Oh, well, hey, that sounds kind of weird. <laughs> Are um, you saying that we got global propaganda out here too? I, I'm not saying anything. I'm just drawing uh, parallels. 38th parallels? <laughs> Cospector, you do sound I'm awful. You should leave. <laughs> uh so yeah, he was also saying. So Kim Il Sung was also be, like, "We did it ourselves," and China was like, uh, "Fuck no, you didn't." Don't listen to China. Don't listen to them. Uh, yeah. In 1966, Kim declared the liberation of the South to be a national duty. <laughs> so now that we've got now that we've got a North Korea, let's look at their history with nuclear shit. Ooh. Uh, we're gonna go a little bit back before where we were in this. To the early 1950s. Okay. Um, North Korea began developing the capability to train personnel for its nuclear program. Yes. December 52, government established the Atomic Energy Research Institute and the Academy of Sciences. Pyongyang signed the founding charter of the Soviet Union's Joint Institute for Nuclear Research in February of 1956 and began to send scientists and technicians to the USSR for training shortly thereafter. So the Soviet Union was training them to do nuclear stuff. Yeah, of course. I mean... Um, in 59, North Korea and Soviet Union signed an agreement on the peaceful use of nuclear energy that included a provision for Soviet help to establish a nuclear research complex in Yongbyon, uh, which was a north, yeah, which is a north in the North Pyongyang province. Yeah. Um, 
Pyongyang. I don't know. Pyongyang province? I think you're saying right. Pyongyang? I don't know. Something like that. Uh, in the early 60s, Soviet Union provided extensive technical assistance to North Korea in constructing the that nuclear research center, which included the installation of uh, Soviet IRT-2000 nuclear research reactor and associated facilities. North Korea used this small research reactor to produce radioisotopes and to train personnel. Um, Although bolstered by early assistance from Moscow and to some extent Beijing, North Korea's nuclear program developed largely without significant foreign assistance. Um, they kind of, like they came up with their own processes and like the Soviets set them up, but like they they kind of ran it and everything themselves without a lot of micromanaging right from them. Uh, reportedly, Kim Il Sung asked Beijing to share its nuclear weapons technology following China's first nuclear test in 1964, but Chinese leader Mao Zedong refused. And I put probably still mad about the whole basically uh, not giving credit for winning for helping in the war. Well, I mean, I also wonder if if China and Russia eventually backed away because of the flack that North Korea's development was getting from the United States, the United Nations yeah. in general. You know, I mean, Russia and China's relationship with us is rocky at best, but they realize that we are a world power as well. So probably being like, we're going to put all of our shit on the line to help, you know, help North Korea with the nuclear arms race. Right. They're probably like. Ah, we got our own stuff to worry yeah. about. Maybe not. <laughs> I want to say, uh, I'm going to try over some of these words because I copied and pasted a lot of this right from the Nuclear Threat Initiative. They had a whole, they have like li- literally a whole section on the history of North Korea's nuclear capabilities. And it's a really interesting read. It's uh, nti.org if you want to read it. So is that an initiative for more nuclear threats or what's Yeah, that? yeah, yeah. They're, they're a supervillain organization. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> They've got the doomsday clock as they're just like, come on, midnight right. <laughs> members of NTI. <laughs> Vladimir is the is the leader of the NTI. Oh, I thought it was me, Skeletor. <laughs> well, if you if you were indeed the leader of the NTI, you would only plead the fifth and never give any reason exactly for what you were doing. Because we established that supervillains just plead the fifth. International <laughs> organizations don't have the same fifth amendment. <laughs> Is Beastman a part of this at all, or is Skeletor just, is he operating it's alone? It's just me! Ugh. Beastman. Uh, Alright. Through the early 19... 19- I skipped a lot. I basically skipped the 70s. Uh, which, you should. Uh, through the early 1980s... Well, I love the 70s! I'm sure you... How many opioids did you take? Oh, I can't even remember! I would never do that, I'm a cop! But before you were cop, cop Spectre, how was... many psychedelics did you partake in? Oh, boy. Well, I'll tell you, there was a real unfortunate story involving a dynamite and a saloon and a donkey. But that's time for another story. You really need to go away so I can finish this. I've got three more pages. I'm sorry. Uh, through the early 1980s, North Korea constructed uranium mining facilities, fuel rod fabrication complex, and a nuclear reactor, as well as a research and development institutions. Um, they also began experimenting with high explosive tests required for building the triggering mechanism of a nuclear bomb. Interesting. December 85, North Korea agreed to sign the Treaty of the Non-Proliferation of Nuclear Weapons, which is the NPT, as a non-nuclear weapon state in exchange for Soviet assistance constructing the light water react four of their light water reactors. Okay. In September 91, U.S. President George H.W. Bush announced that the United States would withdraw its nuclear weapons from South Korea. And on December 18, 1991, President Roh Tae-woo declared that South Korea was free of nuclear weapons. Hmm. 
North Korea and South Korea then signed the joint declaration on the denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula, whereby both sides promised they would not test, manufacture, produce, receive, possess, store, deploy, or use nuclear weapons. Seems like a solid agreement that they plan to stick to. Yes. Uh, So there was a little bit of a crisis in 94, and I I condensed this down a lot. So there were inspectors with the International Atomic Energy Agency, which is the IAEA, and they found some discrepancies in the amount of plutonium that North Korea declared they had repurposed and the amount that they found they had actually repurposed. (laughs) So the IAEA was like, but the numbers don't add up. What's all that stuff? Don't right. worry. Don't worry about it. Um, well, it wasn't even that. It was just like, no, you guys have been running this for long enough. Like, you should have repurposed more. Like, you, like yeah, they were you, storing it somewhere. Yeah. What are you doing with it instead? Um. So the IAEA asked the UN to conduct their own inspections, and then in retaliation, North Korea announced its intention to withdraw from the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. Um, the day before, so there's a, there's like a 90 day period when you say you're going to withdraw from a treaty. Right. Um, to kind of do negotiation stuff. The day before those 90 days were up, uh, the North Korea announced it would withdraw its withdrawal, um, uh, while talks continued with Washington, but they claimed to have a special status in regard to its nuclear safeguard commitments. Um, under this special status, North Korea agreed to allow the, con- uh, continuity of safeguards on its present activities but refused to allow inspections that could verify past nuclear activities so like oh yeah um you can inspect us now but you can't ask about the past hey hey north korea we couldn't we couldn't help but notice that it looked like you were cheating off your classmates homework that was in the past can can we check your answers now you can. <laughs> well, you just erased everything and wrote down new answers. It doesn't matter. Let it go. Right. It's basically what it is. Crisis was diffused in June of 94 when former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, just helping, just Jimmy Carter, world traveler, uh, sunglasses, whatever. Did you do Jimmy Carter? Um, he traveled to Pyongyang to meet with Kim Il-sung. He announced that... Uh, Kim had accepted the broad outline of a deal that was later finalized as the agreed framework in in October of 94. Under the agreement, North Korea agreed to freeze work at its gas graphite moderated reactors and related facilities and to allow the IAEA to monitor that that freeze. Um, They were also required to consistently take steps to implement the North-South Joint Declaration on the Denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula. And to remain a party to the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty. In exchange, the United States agreed to uh, lead an international consortium to construct two lightweight power reactors and to provide 500,000 tons of heavy fuel oil per year until the first reactor came online with a target date of 2003. Furthermore, the United States was to provide formal assurances against the threat or use of nuclear weapons by the U.S. So they were like, we're not going to use nuclear weapons on use North Korea. It's it's insane, like how much um, North Korea is just very worried we're going to use m- nuclear weapons on them. I mean, and it's I guess it's partially understandable because of like just the death and devastation that we rained on them during the war. Mm-hmm. But also, like I wouldn't say that the best way to hold up agreements is to like deliberately ignore them and just be like, "Well, we're scared you're going to do it anyway, so we're going to break the rules anyway." It's right. like, that's how you get a war. Do you want a war? Yeah, because that's how you get a war. 
So while the agreed framework froze North Korea's plutonium program for almost a decade, neither party was completely satisfied with either the compromise reached or its implementation. The United States was dissatisfied with the postponement of safeguards inspections to verify Pyongyang's past activities, and North Korea was dissatisfied with the delayed construction of the light water power reactors. So no one's happy. No one's happy. Well, they say a good compromise leaves everybody unhappy. So on two thousand in October of two thousand two, bilateral talks between the United States and North Korea finally resumed when U.S. Assistant Secretary of State for East Asia and Pacific Affairs James Kelly visited Pyongyang. Uh, during the visit, Kelly informed first Vice Foreign Minister Kang Sok Chu and Vice Foreign Minister Kim Kai Kwan that Washington was aware of a secret North Korean program to produce highly ur- enriched uranium. The U.S. State Department claimed that North Korean officials admitted to having such a program during the second day of meetings with Kelly, but North Korea later argued that it had only admitted to having a plan to produce nuclear weapons, which Pyongyang claimed was part of its right to self-defense. <laughs> so you're not supposed to have any nuclear capabilities at all, though. None. That Niente. was the thing you said. We've got them, but we're not going to use them, so don't worry about it. It's fine. Um... In early 2003, U.S. intelligence detected activities that indicated that North Korea was probably pre-processing 8,000 spit fuel rods that had been in a temporary storage pond. In September of 2003, a North Korean foreign ministry spokesman said that North Korea had completed re- the reprocessing of the spent fuel. This would have given North Korea enough plutonium for approximately four to six nuclear devices. In January of 2004, a delegation of invited U.S. experts confirmed that the canisters in the temporary storage pond were empty. Interesting. April 2005, North Korea shut down a reactor and removed its spent fuel. Um, And that was a reactor that could have produced enough plutonium for between one and three nuclear devices uh, from its spent fuel. Meanwhile, there was a six-party group... It was China, North Korea, U.S., Japan, Russia, and South Korea. Okay. They convened to work out some solutions to all of this. Um, These talks concluded in September 2005, and the six parties signed a statement of principles, whereby North Korea would abandon its nuclear programs and return to the nonproliferation treaty. Okay. And the IAEI safeguards regime at an early date. So they would be like, yeah, we're going to do all that soon. Uh, Specifics of the principles were immediately called into question, and the talks stalemated. Good lord. Basically, North Korea's like, yeah, but you didn't say how. You said when. It was a, it's a lot of just like childish, like semantics and technicalities. Semantics bullshit, yeah. But I mean, that's, it probably is equally infuriating for the United States because that's our game a lot of the time. Yeah, it is. It really is. Um, October 2006, North Korea conducted its first nuclear test at 10 35 a.m. local time at Mount Mantap. Um, yield from this test appeared to be less than one kiloton. Um, North Korea was expecting uh, at least a four kiloton yield, uh, which possibly indicated that North Korean plutonium program still had a number of technical hurdles to overcome before it would have a nuclear warhead. Yeah, I mean, it's what happens when you're trying to do all your shit in secret is it's a rush job or, mm-hmm. you know, if you're trying to beat the parameters, then you're, you know, right. that's where failure occurs. Just remember that the uh, the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is that little something extra. <laughs> <laughs> so there's more talks that happen between these kind of like six six parties. More plans are drawn up. Uh, North Korea seemed to be cooperating. Uh, they drug their feet a little because they were mad they were still on the 
U.S. list of states sponsored terrorist states. Um, we're going to keep making nuclear weapons because we're, right. we're mad about it. Right. October 11, 2008, the United States finally dropped North Korea from the terrorism list um, after reaching a deal in which North Korea agreed to resume the disabling of its nuclear facilities uh, and to allow inspectors access to the nuclear sites. <laughs> the six parties then resumed negotiations to map out a verification plan in Beijing in December of 2008. These negotiations focused on ways to verify the disablement of North Korea's nuclear program, including taking nuclear samples. Um, however, the negotiations failed to reach an agreement on a verification protocol, and the issue remained stalled. <laughs> they couldn't get the processes down, so they're like, well, I guess this isn't happening. I feel like this is a perfect time to remind everyone that North Korea and South Korea have been at war since the 50s. Yeah. Um, after a dispute over rocket launches in March 2009, North Korea kicked out IAEA and U.S. inspectors. <laughs> Basically, they, yeah. Get the, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Well, well, they launched rockets. The U.S. was mad and said, hey, uh, sanctions? And Korea was like, no, get out. Don't you dare put us back on that fucking list either, um, I swear yeah. to God. It's, uh, they began to rebuild a reactor for the purpose of reprocessing plutonium from its spent fuel rods. Um, on, North, on May 25th, 2009, North Korea conducted its second nuclear test. Early estimates pointed to a possible yield for the test of between 2 and 8 kilotons, um, with about 4 kilotons being the most likely. The, thi the thing that's hard is North Korea inflates these numbers a lot. Yeah. Um, so it's very estimated based on like Richter scale stuff and and just kind of measurements we can take from like satellite imagery and stuff like that. Um, United I, Nations. I love the Midwestern measurements, by the way. It's like the Winsville never leaves. <laughs> My boyfriend called me out on high say measurements. The My other dad day. says measurements and wash. I don't say wash. Yeah. I say wash, but that's yeah. the only thing. But measurements, it happens. Yeah. Is it Missouri or Missouri? It's Missouri. Okay, cool. Um, God damn it. I don't <laughs> even know where I am now. United Nations Security Council released Resolution 1874. In response, Poignang announced that the processing of uranium nurtures will be commenced. North Korea further indicated that it did not intend to return to the six-party talks and asserted that it would not be bound by agreements made earlier through this forum. Tensions continued to rise 2010-2011. North Korean leader Kim Jong-il, at the time, visited China three times within one year, each time indicating he was willing to proceed with denuclearization efforts. However, North Korea also engaged in several military confrontations with the South. In March 2010, North Korea torpedoed a South Korean ship, killing 46 sailors. Uh, and in November of the same year, it shelled uh, Yunpyang Island, which killed four South Koreans, including two civilians. What year was that? This is 2010. Really? March 15, 2011, Pyongyang announced its willingness to return to the six-party talks without <laughs> preconditions. We killed some of the... We're, we got that out of our system. And Who agreed, wants to talk about agreed it? Agreed to discuss its uranium enrichment program. However, in March 2010, North Korea announced the construction of a light water reactor at Yongboin. Uh, U.S. nuclear expert Siegfried Hecker confirmed that construction of an experimental light water reactor had commenced during his November 2010 visit. Additionally, Hecker reported that North Korea had completed the construction of a uranium enrichment facility, although satellite imagery showed that activity had been halted since late April of 2014. Subsequent imagery from sept September 2015 showed new activity likely indicating increased uranium production. Um, and then skipping forward a little bit, September 9th of 2016, North Korea carried out a fifth nuclear test. 
Um, U.S. Geological Survey registered the test at a 5.3 magnitude earthquake. Um, so it's getting that estimates a between 10 and 20 kiloton yield. That's pretty nuts. So they're getting there. Yeah. You know, never, you know, don't let people say that you can never achieve your dreams because if you try hard, you can. So that's up until 2016. Cool. What do you have in this year? So what I'm basically going to do is... What walk, is going on right the fuck now? I'm going to uh, walk us through basically what's been going on since Trump took office. Um, and I don't remember exactly when it happened. I didn't include it specifically, but I do... He, he did a tweet that was pretty controversial saying something about Hold how, on. Hold on. Oh, okay, Our so, president tweets controversial things. This is the first I'm hearing about sometimes this. Sometimes he says things that are kind of dumb, but, you know. How? What? Hold on. He Hold, said that. This is this is the first I'm hearing about our president, like, drunk tweeting. I don't, I don't even know if he drinks. I think he's just an idiot. Um, sorry, that wasn't apolitical and kind of ableist of me. He's, uh, he's a, a dumb dildo. Anyway, this... Um, <laughs> This, so basically, this is what he's not. The tweet basically said that um, that the United States should continue ramping up their nuclear arms uh, until the rest of the world gets it through their head that it's not something to make light of, which really doesn't make any kind of sense when you think about right. it. Right? Because Especially, calling for ramping up our arms is making light of how, and it makes other countries right. nervous. And also, I mean, when you consider that our our military budget is literally twice the amount of the next nearest country. I mean, we've already got a, a pretty prolific stockpile. So um, this is basically what's been going on since Trump took office. In January, the day before he recited the oath of office, the North Korean leadership already had prepared its own unique welcome for the incoming president. On January 19th, U.S. intelligence satellites picked up signs of activity at North Korea's Chamjin Missile Factory southwest of Pyongyang in an apparent readying of a test of two intercon intercontinental ballistic missiles. From here on out, we'll just call those ICBMs. Uh, ten days later, Defense Secretary, Secretary James Mattis was preparing for his first visit to Asia, and it was reported that the country was preparing to restart a plutonium reactor at the Yongbyon nuclear factory, according to analysis of new satellite imagery from 38 North, a Korea, North Korea tracking project. So already uh, they were just kind of like, you know, they basically continuing what you were just talking about. They basically really were going to keep going. Um, February. The Trump administration kicked off the month with uh, Mattis's East Asian journey, and he got there um, February 2nd at the Osan Air Base outside of Seoul. So the top of the agenda for him um, was just working on South Korea's defenses, talking about its northern neighbor's aggression, and the THAAD missile interception system. Um, and I, sh I meant to write down what THAAD stood for, and now I can't remember. It's, uh, it's like an anti-armament device, basically, like being prepared to take out anything that would be right. fired at South Korea. Right. Um, so uh, three days later, on February 5th, the U.S. and its East Asian ally, Japan, successfully downed a test medium-range ballistic missile, myth uh, missile, missile? Missile with a new interceptor launched from a guided missile destroyer. And North Korea did not take long to respond. On February 11th, it reportedly it reported it had successfully completed the launch of a new ballistic missile, the previously unknown Puk Gung Song 2, according to state media. So I'm gonna take a little side question. Side quest. A, their state media is bonkers. I mean, like you know, basically all of our most countries have some kind of state-run media. 
Um, we talked in one of the previous podcasts about how the Patriot Act had basically allowed for a creation of something similar to that um, within the United States. But as we know, Russia has a very strong state media. North Korea's state media is insane. And like, right. what's really cool, I mean, not cool, but interesting, is the verbiage and like the words they use are just so fantastical and like it like blatantly calling like our evil enemy the United States stuff like that like it's really insane and not too long ago um, they re- they just had a march and uh, like kind of through their town square uh, or through like the capital and it was basically a military parade that showed off their weapons like yeah, they were going with gigantic missiles on trucks and their military so i mean it's pretty insane um how that works and i mean uh, it like we said earlier in the podcast they are a country that i mean they call their their leader great leader and Mm -hmm. he is their supreme leader and i mean their adoration for him whether feigned or genuine is kind of disconcerting uh and also sort of remarkable um so anyway it was that was north korea's first missile test of the trump era and then uh on February 14th, North Korean agents reportedly murdered Kim Jong-un's half-brother, Kim Jong-nam, which you mentioned a nam earlier, or a nam, um, and uh, I want to say he was like a North Korean general or something during the war. Um, uh, anyway, not important, but I noticed that when you said okay. that. So. I mean, those names are all Or what, Jack? Or what? Like, common? Ooh, offensive. I need a content warning before you start getting all racist on me here. Like, I mean, literally <laughs> just, all over I'm the research. Kidding. I'm just they're kidding. all over the I'm research. I'm kidding you. I mean, th- yeah, I mean, they're all named Kim Jong something. Uh, so, um, uh, he, and I'll, I'll touch on that assassination a little bit later because that has specifically raised tensions throughout Malaysia, South Korea, and China. Um, so, uh, shortly after uh, that assassination, China banned imports of Chinese coal for the remainder of the year for North Korea. So sanctions were placed as a result of what had happened with that assassination attempt, which has also raised tensions for what's going on in that area as well. Um, So in March, uh, we see March 6th, North Korea fired four ballistic missiles into the Sea of Japan in what Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe described as an extremely dangerous action. The missiles, three of which landed within 200 miles of Japan's coastline, Japan, of Japan's coastline. And oh, who's mispronouncing things now, motherfucker? I would never. I, I did that on purpose. Um, I was thinking of the band Japan Droids. Uh, it's still not totally. Damn it. God damn it. Um, so uh, three of which landed uh, 200 miles short of that one country's coastline in its exclusive economic zone. <laughs> And they were fired as part of a drill targeting American military assets in Japan by North Korea's Hwasong artillery units. Um, So on the heels of the multiple launch, South Korea's U.S.-built THAAD missile defense system, which China vigorously opposes, arrives on the peninsula. As it was delivered, China's top diplomat, Foreign Minister Wang Yi, warns the U.S. and North Korea are set for a head-on collision with neither side willing to give way. So uh, that's something else to kind of consider. seems pretty clear. Yeah, and I mean, now that it's one of those things where you see us converging the region, and we just had military tests with South Korea, or military exercises last month, I believe, um, or earlier in April, where there was some convergence in the South uh, China Sea for some testing that was really upsetting everyone. Uh, I think that's why we covered the South China Sea, actually. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, when you have other countries in the region saying, like, hey, this shit is upsetting everybody— then, you know, maybe it's time to clue in on that, but you got Trump at the helm, so we'll see what happens. Um, 
On March 14th, the U.S., along with allies South Korea and Japan, responded to the North's earlier missile tests, dispatching high-tech missile defense ships to the same area where Pyongyang had previously fired the four missiles. Uh, the maneuvers came as U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson embarked upon his first Asian trip, landing in Japan on March 15th. Um, so five days after that, Pyongyang again ratcheted attentions by testing a rocket engine, one which showed meaningful signs of progress, according to South Korean officials. Uh, the North Koreans launched another missile just days after the engine test, but exploded within seconds of launch. As March wound down, Pyongyang once again went back to its engine tests. Technology could possibly be used in an eventual intercontinental ballistic ICBM. missile. ICBM. I wasn't sure if people would remember. You know, They probably would have remembered. ICBM. Uh, and in a separate move, the U.S. announced that the U.S. Marines deployed F-35B aircraft to South Korea for the first time as part of an exercise. So it's really easy to cover stuff as an exercise, but it's also countries right. flexing muscle, you know? To me, like, all their tests are is flexing muscle still. Sure. Of, like, you can't tell us what to do. It just, it makes me wonder, like, how, you know, what if someone, how long till someone gets ballsy and what's that reaction right. going to be? Um, Not even ballsy. Stupid. Sometimes those words aren't mutually exclusive. Have you ever seen Jackass? Um, all right, April. That brings us up to this month. Uh, Trump began the month by declaring on April 2nd that the U.S. would be willing to go it alone to restrain North Korea's nuclear weapons should China fail to change the situation. Two days later, as Trump prepared to meet his Chinese counterpart, President Xi Jinping, North Korea fired another ballistic missile off the coast of the Korean Peninsula, U.S. and South Korean officials said. As the two leaders sat down to steak and pan-seared soleil at Trump's Mar-a-Lago resort in Florida, Trump made the decision to pull the trigger on a missile strike in Syria— the biggest military action of his presidency and a declaration of intent for Pyongyang, which, by the way, if anyone has read that interview, I posted it afterwards where he talks about the chocolate cake. It was mm-hmm. like three paragraphs about his chocolate cake yep. and a Syrian missile. Bananas. Also, he keeps calling Kim Jong-un that gentleman because he does not remember his name. He can't pronounce it. <laughs> Wrong. Um, so uh, shortly after that, North Korea issued a forceful response to the deployment of a U.S. naval strike group, including the 97,000-ton carrier, the USS Carl Vinson, to the region April 10th, saying it would counter reckless acts of aggression with whatever methods the U.S. wants to take. Days later, Monitoring Group 38 North says analysis had concluded that North Korea's Pungi-Rai nuclear site is primed and ready for a sixth nuclear test. Also on April 13th, Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe said that the country may already have the capability to deliver missiles equipped with sarin nerve agent, which is a um, uh, outlawed chemical un- under the um, uh, a UN, the treaty. yeah a UN under Geneva, one of those. Like basically, sarin is a chemical weapon uh, that's outlawed in, in um, the situation, which is why Trump uh, initially did the the attack because um, Assad purportedly used sarin right. nerve gas on the people. Um, and I like I I mean side note I know we're very critical of Trump here I don't necessarily think he made the wrong move with the with the Syria bombing I mean it required an aggressive action and Russia has not remotely backed down from backing Assad in the situation I mean that's it's a dangerous combination I mean but there's always two sides to a story but I, I it's not I, something that I think I, I, I like always, I didn't balk at that I was like I, okay I guess I did I always worry about leaders whose first reaction instead of diplomacy is drop the mother of all bombs so you must be fucking terrified then (laughs) oh yeah i mean that was my biggest concern when he got elected uh and what's funny to me he doesn't have he 
he can't make a goddamn deal to save his life. I what, know he has a book called The Art of the Deal, but don't read it. What do you what do you think is what, what do you think social justice warriors were more upset about? The fact that he dropped the mother of all bombs or the fact that it was called the mother of all bombs while men create war? I can give you the answer. It was it was that it was called the mothers of all bombs. It was really funny to read about. Like people genuinely upset like don't call it the mother of all bombs this is mother earth and we nurture this planet and men create wars and i was like oy vey what about all those people that died <laughs> anyway um priorities exactly um so after that uh you know that like we just talked about it it was a gbu 43b massive ordnance air blast bomb so it's not actually the mother of all bombs it's massive ordnance air blast that's what MOD right. stands for but people are fucking clever um so uh that that's our largest non-nuclear weapon and i mean it's right it's i mean the footage is pretty intense like when you see it get dropped it's pretty crazy however we I did just, call ahead and let russian troops know that we were doing that so right. they weren't hit on the base which is kind of interesting too. And I will say there, because to me it would have been like, why you're mad at him for poisoning and killing his own citizens, so you're gonna drop a bomb on them? But I think it was like a military base. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's rebels, and then there's the state, right? And I think we've we're talking about maybe doing Syria next time we meet. I mean, because it's pretty pertinent as well. So. We might be able to touch on that a little bit more in depth because I honestly, there's a lot of it. I just have right. no, I don't know, you know. But um, so uh, after that, two days later, at an annual military parade in Pyongyang, the North Korea regime showed off a bevy of new missiles and launchers. And part of the display were two new ICBM-sized canisters, as well as North Korea's submarine-launched ballistic missile and a land-based version for the same for the first time, according to analysts. Another thing that worries me in general about North Korea's military stuff is that they do have effort going into submarine missiles. And mm -hmm. I read a really interesting article, and I might be misquoting it, but if I remember correctly, the gist of it was that we, as, a, as our naval budget, we put a lot of money into aircraft carriers because it gives us the ability to you know, deploy right. planes, and, but they're strategically, they can be taken out with a submarine missile, like below, mm -hmm. beneath the hull. You know, I mean, they're not impervious. Right. And each one of them costs buku to, like, Dolores, like, in the billions. So, right. I mean, it's, they're very powerful, and we, I think we have more naval carriers than any, aircraft carriers than any other country, which, great, you know, whatever. But, I mean, that's a lot of money to go into something that could be sank pretty easily, along right. with, you know, $90 billion worth of airplanes and personnel on it as well. So, um, Things to consider, I mean, sometimes the biggest weapons aren't the best. It's just the smartest weapons for the situation you're dealing with. Um, so the following day, April 16th, another attempted missile launch by the Kim regime failed. And after the attempted test, U.S. President Mike Pence visited the South Korean side of the demilitarized zone and warned North Korea not to test the resolve of the U.S. or the strength of our military forces. Um, so basically, it's been a lot of dick swinging. Uh, nothing right. super exciting has happened except for um, on April 19th, the Pentagon announced that it will conduct two major tests of its ability to shoot down missiles launched out of North Korea in May. And on April 19th, the UN Security Council tried to address North Korea's latest missile launch with a proposed statement that would have condemned the test, but Russia used its veto to torpedo the motion. So Russia still has some clout with North Korea as well in, in their support of them. And I mean, North Korea and China obviously both have, you know, they're right. they're trying to handle it their own way with imposed sanctions as well. But North Korea and China also don't really care 
for the United States as much. So it's kind of like this little bevy of people who are all like, fuck the U.S. So um, it's kind of interesting to see how that's all going to play out, especially with tensions rising uh, between U.S. and Russia over the past six months. Um, and I, there's so many factors playing into it. Like I've had my tinfoil conspiracy hat on for a while, just trying to figure out like tinfoil conspiracy hat, where that connection is. Is it like, okay, Russia back, like helped us hack the election. So Trump could get elected, but now Trump is renouncing him and members of his administration are going down and they don't want to condemn Russia, but Russia is like, well, if we got to go to war, we've got China and North Korea over here and we're kind of like letting them do their own thing. And then we've got the situation with Syria and Assad, not to mention the proposed pipeline that would go through Ukraine and Syria, not to mention that the proposed pipeline that would come from the South China Sea and who that would benefit. Like, it all comes down to oil, Mm. as always. Oil? Oil? Cospector, what do you think about oil? I drink it. You that is that why you're not feeling good, buddy? It's my alcohol. <laughs> You've been are you drunk on oil? I'm drunk off the power oil gives me. Do you drink oil directly from the barrel or are you drinking gasoline? Oh, I drink it straight from the earth. How do you, that's really interesting. That's I I go, I go down there to the one of them uh pumping stations and I just stick my mouth right over it. Does anyone say anything to you about that when you're doing that? They or? say stop! And you, What do you say? I say I'm a cop! I can do what I want. So are you worried then at all about uh, the South China Sea and Syria situation? I'm gonna run out. Of oil? I don't know. What, would you be able to subside on solar energy if, if you ran out of oil? Can I eat the sun? You could sure try, buddy. I would never tell you no. Right, I'm gonna go try. Alright, good luck, buddy. All right, well, Cospector's off eating the sun. Um, I'm going to run down real quick the assassination. I know we touched on it briefly before, but I didn't have near enough time when we first talked on it. Um, So basically, um, Kim Jong-nam was murdered on February 13th in Kuala Lumpur Airport by two hired killers. The fascination surrounding the killing has centered on its sensational circumstances. That one of the killers smeared a poisonous toxin, reportedly VX gas, which is another... um, uh, yeah, it's another illegal criminal. Like, I don't Controls, know why I can't think of that. Whatever. Like, yeah. it's chemical warfare like yeah. that we're not allowed yeah. to use, basically. But um, So they smeared it across his face, and that one of them wore a T-shirt with the acronym LOL printed across the front, and that the other reportedly mistook the hit for a comedy stunt, I guess. I, I mean, they have a weird sense of humor, though. Like, you guys want to go assassinate someone for fun? Hell yeah, let me put on my LOL shirt. Um, but Malaysian police have detained five people allegedly connected to the killing and remain on the hunt for others including several North Koreans linked to it. So the reason why it's kind of interesting is because, A, uh, the identification of the chemical agent using the attack could very well suggest a deeper connection to the Kim Jong-un regime, which is believed to amass a stockpile, including uh, holding anywhere from 2,500 to 5,000 tons of chemical weapons, including VX gas. Um, and North Korea, of course, denies the existence of a chemical weapons program. Of course it does. They have no idea where that came from. I know. I know I, I, it's it was a stocking stuffer. I, I, I guess it was it was in the back. There there are no chemical weapons. Please move along. There are none here. Um, if Kim Jong Un ordered the hit, a theory that South Koreans have endorsed, it will have proven a senseless, brutal, desperate act, but not an uncommon one for the thirty-year-old great leader. After taking over from, from his father in two thousand eleven, he's thirty. He's yeah. He's, God, I'm like a year and a half younger than him, and I have not murdered. 
anyone. Do you even run a country, I just bro? I feel so far behind. <laughs> You're like, yeah, it's ridiculous. Get a podcast studio or something. Do something with your life. Um, so uh, he systematically removed many of the country's top officials, including the 60-year-old, 67-year-old Zhang, an uncle by marriage, who was executed for treason. Sanctioning such a killing was certainly sacrilegious, particularly in light of the 5,000-year-old Korean tradition's Confucian reverence for family. But in the dictatorship of North Korea, built around the absolute power of the great, great leader, Jang's killing the grape leader. Jang's killing wasn't all that surprising. That's pronounced on things going, dude. I'm all marble mouthed. Um, so, um, so the killing of Kim Jong Nam, however, is different because unlike Jang, Kim Jong Nam had royal blood, giving his direct line of descent from North Korea's founding leader Kim Tu Song, or Kim Il Song. I read that as two, like the Roman numeral. I know you did. <laughs> Um, so, uh, basically, the foundation of North Korea is largely built on tradition of ethnocentric nationalism, um, which dates back to a Korean monarchy as well as to Japan's colonization of Korea from 1910 to 1945. So, it's kind of just been like nepotism and nationalism all the way through. Like, family name will carry you as far as you want to go, basically. Well, and also positioning your family as descended from gods or appointed by gods. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, Appointed by Stalin. Yeah, so I mean, what's what's interesting about it is is if he's sanctioning these own, um, if these these killings and these things, which you know, there's been uh, Malaysia had said stuff like they had been partially blamed, South Korea had been partially blamed. No one really knew what was going on. There was even an issue where the body was originally identified as a citizen from South Korea and not one of North Korea and wasn't returned correctly because they couldn't figure out who it was because of the chemicals. Mm-hmm. Kind of crazy, but so anyway. With the untimely death of Kim Jong-nam, the most direct heir to the Baidku Hialong, its godlike power is now broken, creating room for others seeking to defy its sanctity, perhaps by targeting the great leader himself, now exposed as a mere replaceable mortal. So basically what it is is kind of like this godlike divinity that you know you see purported throughout right. this. Like if Kim Jong-il can take out his – or Kim Jong-un can take out his half-brother right. who has this royal bloodline, then he is exposed himself – to be a mere mortal, mortal. Yeah. yeah, which is kind of crazy that there's like this godlike mythology that circulates it, but it should show you the kind of dedication that the people have to. I mean, I guess you could say living the lie almost. And I mean that. Um, I, I mean, if you believe your president is a god, that's kind of living a lie, isn't it? Is, is that kind of harsh? I don't. The thing is, because I don't want to paint North Koreans as idiots who sure, believe but, bullshit. Right, but I mean, when but he had that stroke, people were like cultural aspect to it. Yeah, where they are, and I don't know. And I mean, it still it exists here in in evangelical Christians and yeah, the world like that. Like, but people when they're more, they already believe in a higher power. They believe, you know, whatever Catholics believe, popes that the pope speaks directly to god like yeah exactly. that there's a that's so there's a i think there's a standard for believing that if you're strong enough in your faith I, and i don't think everyone on that uh, in the north korean believes that no no i wouldn't i wouldn't um, think so um, and i think most people and i want to bring down to like i think this is a good point of like i hate when people paint a whole country as, as the enemy yeah because most people are just trying to live their goddamn life most people are waking up going to work 
going to school. Yeah. Jerking off. Like, it's all the same stuff. Like, everyone does very similar. They've got an extracurricular, probably. Yeah. Like, they've got, they have to find time to do drugs and money to buy them. Right. It's, I mean, and it's. And I, maybe there is a little different, like, it's not exactly the same, like, type of things over there, depending on stuff that's illegal, whatever. Sure. But, like, it's still just trying to live trying to just living your life and like that's why i get worried and i'm gonna get on a soapbox here real quick no you're fine let's not get excited or not think about alternative options to war (laughs) yeah because the war war rarely and this is my pacifist bullshit coming up but like (laughs) war rarely affects the people in power more than it affects the everyday people who are just getting killed as pawns. No, I agree. And I mean, it's, um, it, you're right. I mean, there's no, and we then shouldn't as pan. we see war doesn't, no one fucking learns their lesson. I mean, it's, it just perpetuates. I agree. And I mean, no one should paint a full country with broad brushstrokes. Cause even right now, here we are doing something that in North Korea could very well get you killed. If you had a podcast where you were talking about how your great leader is a fucking idiot. And that's, basically uh, I'm what, not, I'm still, Still not convinced I'm not going to get murdered for this podcast. I mean, I, I'd be stoked if anyone heard this. So uh, even if the FCC busted through and they were like, we're here to take you out for your podcast. You'd be like, you guys fucking heard it? That's awesome. What do you think? What was your favorite episode? They're like, uh, get on the floor, scum. 100% what I would do. Like, <laughs> like did you like would, and share it? Did you rate and review? <laughs> they would be, be busted. Like, you're under arrest for insulting Trump on your podcast. I'm like, are you listening? Is he going to tweet about it? Is, is he, is he listening now? <laughs> Trump, are you listening now? You Go- big fucking idiot. Um, no, but I mean, and the, the thing that worries me is in the situation with North Korea is, uh, you know, it, Kim Jong-un's reign of terror and the way that he goes about things suggests an escalating paranoia and just an overall right. distrust. And that kind of mirrors However, how Trump— does yes. things. I mean, he's frightened. Trump is frightened he's and paranoid. Has paranoia. And we've talked about like he's basically already released released a list of enemies, so to speak, like people he just doesn't fucking trust in the government himself. And I mean, when you get two great, two crazy leaders with a nuclear arsenal getting into a dick swinging contest with all the other stuff that's going on, I mean, it's very. Who's to say that once this Michael Flynn stuff actually comes to light and those documents are released right. somehow? That a distract a great distraction wouldn't be firing something over at North Korea, you know, like something will happen in uh, given enough time. You mm-hmm. know, I mean these th- these I, lines are not going to run parallel forever. There is going to be some I will, kind of yeah. I will point. say like it has been. I mean they've been they've had nuclear capabilities since the fifties. We've said stop. They've said no. And that's been the the, the game. I mean, we've done forever. the same thing with Iran and sanctions and stuff as well. That's you know been the I mean? game forever, and I, I don't love. And there's a great post on uh, article on Gizmodo. I might post uh, with this episode, basically like um, like we talk about like how their patriotism and and propaganda is out of control in North Korea. But like, if you think about it, like. Our news media is now very much shifting to North Korea is the next big problem, and people will get on board with a war. And I don't want that. Like, and it's very much like a don't 
let that trick work on you. Like, look at the fucking facts. Look at 100%. the past. 100%. There is a little reason to be worried. The That that same website I mentioned, the Nuclear Threat Initiative, has on their main webpage. That's like, modded by Skeletor. Yeah. It's it's a link on their main site, uh, an analysis they've done of, like, understanding the recent tests. And there is reason to be alarmed because used to their tests were to see if it worked. Right. Um, and most of the time, it did not. Uh, but now... And they've been at, like, one or two different sites, which were test sites. Sure. The, ne- the places they've been testing them lately have been around military bases. Yes. And it's probably been training soldiers how to use these things and what war looks like with the- so it is a little different now like uh, there's a great graph of like basically kim il-sung uh, ran 14 out of a fifth of its 15 missile tests at in one location kim jong-il um had 13 tests done in one location uh and then like one test done in another but kim uh, kim jong-un has been First of all, he's done so many at tests. I can't do the quick math right now, but it's probably near 40-ish, 45. And they've been spread out among like nine or ten different locations. And right. a lot of lo- those locations are closer to um, like bases. Yeah. I mean, the, esca- um, the escalation is definitely there. And like I touched on earlier. One of, like- the, one of, one of the headlines, one of the... M- sub headlines is testing men not metal yes um and i mean it's the state i mean never ever doubt the power of media and propaganda for people that are right. are easily convinced and honestly honestly it's it's not just for plebeians i mean there are people that are well educated but are so misguided or strong in their convictions that they will consume without any kind of um without any kind of uh what's the fucking word i'm looking for um Nuance. I mean, right. just, you know, and I mean, that's what we talked about in the beginning of this is like, it's the age of information and willful ignorance is willful. If you, mm-hmm. if you care to know, um, then, you know, figure it out. So, I mean, I think it's, uh, there's a lot to digest there, but hopefully we've kind of like broken yeah. down a little bit what, um, what to look for and keep an eye out. Um, and I mean, there's, I, I don't picture it just disappearing from the news oh, anytime soon. It won't disappear from the news, but I just, and I'm going to post that Gizmodo article, but, like, I just don't don't necessarily buy into the news of, like, oh, this is something we have to do now. Yeah. Like, make sure if you want to know the truth about anything, go to Breitbart. It's not something we've had to do forever. <laughs> like, it's not it, – it, there are second and third options probably. Also, on just a little bit of, like, a different note, like, there's been, like I said, about 40-something-ish uh, – missile tests yeah in north korea since kim uh what is it jong un kim jong un has taken power in 2011 literally the newer like more powerful missiles have almost definitely failed more than they've worked yeah um so like polaris one and two they did eight launch uh nope that's not how math works seven launches of four of them were successes three of them were failures okay the Musudan missile, um, 
has had eight launches. Only one of them succeeded. Wow. And then the Unba 3 has had three launches. Two of them succeeded. I've actually heard people talking about how, how there's the possibility that someone could be on the inside actually sabotaging yeah. those missiles which kind of like i would be cool but at the same time like it'd be cool if they were just failing on their own I you think know just failing on their it's, own which That's is totally possible i think they just don't i think it's just not there yet um their older missiles work like the scud b and c they launched 19 times all 19 times were six successes yeah but that also does mean they don't have as much of a, of a reach yeah um so, I mean, yes, anybody they bomb is going to be bad, especially if it's one of our allies. Um, but they won't be able to reach us. With the missiles they have that work continually now, they won't be able to reach us. Yeah, um, I mean, so, and that, at that point, it's going to be, if if there's a nuclear war that, between the U.S. and North Korea, the U.S. is going to have to strike First. I the only argument I would say to that is if they instead struck at our ally first, if they True. attacked South Korea True. first, that would call military action. So here's here's my question: If you what are your what's your thought on this? With uh, how about I had an idea for a section just because I had something I wanted to talk about, but it's not remotely worth doing a podcast on. It would probably only take five minutes anyway. A new section at the end of each podcast just called tangents, and like you pick a topic of like current news that's in, on your mind that you want to like just do a little editorial spiel about, and I'm gonna do the same. Maybe we can even think of a cool, like, little intro music for it. It's but not going to be this week. That's fine. but Because um, I don't have one. Okay. Well, I, I'll go ahead with mine then if it's all You've new. only brought it up because you had one. No, oh, 100%. Yeah. Um, and I'm curious your thoughts too. So are you aware of the incident that happened not, I want to say not this past weekend, but the weekend before at Berkeley where the uh, girl got punched in the face during the protest? Right. The anti anti-fascist protest right so here's what here basically what happened was there was a uh a like a freedom caucus meeting on it's like a pro-trump make america great right but also like there's some white nationalist groups and like some overall shitheads whatever but um you know peaceful protests people gathering first amendment shit all protected totally fine so this anti-fascist group called anti-fat which I mean, this is, like, deep into 4chan, Reddit stuff. I don't really get that deep into it, but, like, I'm on the outer fringe, like, reading about it because it's just fascinating. I love watching, like, white college kids fight each other. It's the funniest thing in the world to me. Like, yeah, you white college kids are fighting oppression. Go for it. Um, So, anyway, this girl, she, like, there was video of it, and earlier in the day she had made a Facebook post saying – I'm headed to break up the Nazi circle jerk with all these assholes. I'm hoping to collect 100 Nazi scalps. So she goes there, and she gets decked, and it's on everywhere. I mean, it's on Facebook. Right. All this stuff happens. A GoFundMe gets started, $80,000 for surgery, repairs, all the stuff that happened because of it. Um, video evidence comes out later of her throwing basically homemade IEDs, which were glass bottles with firecrackers in them, throwing them into the crowd, as well as walking around with weighted gloves, like, to fight people so my here i'll get this out of the way first i don't think it's okay to hit a woman i would never do it i'm not a fan of it i think it's you know whether it's someone who identifies as whatever physical violence against others for any reason except for being a nazi in general you know those are skewed it's lines always okay to it's punch always a nazi. okay to punch a we nazi. can't back off from that I can't that's back off. In, in our intro. intro but here's what bothered me is so after the incident she kind of went incognito for a couple of days, but then she was on uh, a local CBS news station. 
And part of what happened after this was people claimed that she got doxxed. And uh, for those of you who don't know what doxing is, doxing is the dumb. It's, I hate it sucks. people. Who it's dox. when you grab per- people's very personal information, their name, address, stuff like that, post it online for people to see. One of the things that people claimed that she got doxed on was her nudes. Here's the thing: she is a working porn actress. Like she works for ATK, doing quote unquote hairy hippie porn. That's what that's, right. that's her thing. So you can't dox someone whose nudes are already readily available right. for consumption online. But here's what bothers me. If you are boldly part of an anti-fascist group, you are proudly against anti-fascist people, you've gone so far as to post on your social media accounts that you're going out to do violence against fascists, don't play the victim in your news interview. I mean, when she got interviewed, right. it bothered me so much because she be- was like, she's like, you know, they just came at me out of nowhere. We were just there to see what was going on. Like there's video evidence contrary to what you're talking about but the part that bothered me the most is she just did a new photo shoot of like nude sultry images behind an anti-fab border and like put that online being like well since they loved me so much and doxed all my pictures before here's a new photo set for them and it's like i i lost so much respect for you and your movement because it's you're just doing like a cash publicity grab Mm -hmm. so i guess what i'm saying is if you believe in something and you have convictions against it when it comes time to to be taken to task on it stand up for what you believe in and don't don't play the victim because that's what's going to eat you alive right. and discredit your movement right you know like she's clearly fucking fired up yeah and i'm like i'm stay great. fired up on the news be like yeah yeah like fuck those they, guys fuck those guys i was i was there looking for a I, fight i went up there to go fuck up some nazis cool but don't right. be like like, I was just there, and, like, this dude just came out of nowhere, and, like, I put up my arms to stop him, and he punched me. Oh, and by the way, my nose is fine. My mom gave me this balm, and it's, oh, well, then take down your fucking GoFundMe. Right. Like, what are you, it just, it bothered me. I don't like, like, because at its core, anti-fat, when it's not some gigantic fucking social media, mm-hmm. social justice warrior thing, being against fascism, not a bad thing. Using it as propaganda and a cash grab to benefit yourself personally, right. not a good thing. I... I'm always I, – I took this little online quiz earlier just, yeah. just to see me stuff. Um, what my was, little pony were you? It was eight values or whatever. <laughs> yeah. And I was very surprised that my civil axis was, um, I guess, libertarian. Uh-huh. Um, it was very strange because I guess I was like – a lot of the questions where it was like, do you think people should be told, like, that it's not okay to uh, – protest for a cause you don't believe in and i had to put like i don't know or like i disagree like because i'm very i'm very against extremism extremism on either sure um like if nambo is marching down your street you'd be like get get the fuck out of here right (laughs) right um i I, I just it's a very fraught and i know there's some people who see extremism as the a necessary means to their end. Yeah. And maybe that's true. I don't know enough sometimes. I, I, the, the problem open, is that open is about not knowing anything. So often it's either, um, a group mentality or completely anecdotal, which mm-hmm. I mean, anecdotal evidence is the least, least like, um, substantial when it comes to an argument because everyone's experience is relative. So maybe because you're completely fired up about one thing and you're in this group for a reason, it might not be the same for another. And if you're like, hey, I'm against fascism, and you're like, I am too, and it's like, we should get a petition signed and not be allowed to ban them anymore. It's like, what if we just burn down their house? And it's like, uh, 
I'm going to go start my own group. Like, right. you know, like these fringe groups, just, they, I don't know. It's all very interesting to me. But um, just, you know, the best thing I do is think for yourself. You know, keep like research and just learn. And a group mentality is it's so hard to get behind because, like I said, the human experience is relative. Your experience is not remotely the same as mm-hmm. mine. And it's hard to, to gather under something like that. But uh, yeah, I mean, if if you if you believe in something, stand up for it. Um, and uh... I couldn't eat the sun. <laughs>